Well, good morning. I'm going to go on. This is just bothering me. I just come up here. I have no idea how I got down there. There we go. That's, you can, if, when this, if this sinks down to the bottom, like I'm done. Like I have to leave the stage. If this starts lowering, if it gets down to this point, you know I'm done. So the, the, the hourglass has started and we're going. Speaking of hourglasses and time, I want to share with you a little bit about what's been going on. Uh, with a youth search committee, we're looking for a youth minister, uh, as you know. Uh, we were able to attend the Lubbock Christian University intern fair. Uh, and while we were there, we said, hey, most of the people there are looking for interns. We're looking for a minister. And we're able to, to visit with um, several different couples. And we've continued that conversation since leaving there last Monday. Uh, and, and good things are happening. Uh, and we are excited, uh, and we're hopeful, but most importantly, we're prayerful. And I just, I beg you, I beg you to join us in that prayer as we're looking for someone. I don't know if you you know the, the, the climate of what's going on, especially within ministry, but as in most fields right now, there's lots of jobs, and there's not very many people wanting to fill those jobs. And that's absolutely the case. Uh, ministers... For every one youth minister or preacher um, that's, that is looking for a job, probably three churches, maybe four or five, that are looking for a minister. Uh, and so what I've, I've told our only half-jokingly, the way we're going to get somebody, we're just going to outpray all the other. Uh, and so I'm going to ask that you will join me in that as we are patient and, and God brings us the, the right individuals here. So um, things are going good. We actually have somebody scheduled to come in uh, first of next year and potentially some more. We're, we're still in conversations with that, and so we're excited. So we have not given up on our youth out uh, of them, and, and we're doing our best to bring somebody in to help them continue to grow spiritually. I, I, I have to tell you this. I've told you this. I love story time. Uh, and that's why I love the Bible so much. I, I can remember as a kid, I've told you this story before, but I can remember being in my dad's car, his little uh, uh, Honda Accord hatchback, uh, tiny little thing. Um, and we'd be driving down the road, and I'd look at him and I'd say, Hey, Dad, what time is it? And he'd look at the little clock on there, and he'd say, Ah, it's, you know, 4 o'clock. I said, No, it's story time. And I love for my dad to tell stories, especially of what it was like growing up. And so that's one of the reasons why I love the Bible so much, because it's filled with story after story after story. And these stories, I mean, they're, they're, they're entertaining. I mean, like, there's some really great stories in there. Like, I, had, it, I did not know it was there, right? You get some of those stories, they're entertaining, they're inspiring, they're encouraging, they're informative, but most importantly is that they're transformative. They transform who we are. And if they aren't, then you're just reading this like you might read a comic strip, right? And so as we read these stories, at some point they enter not only into our ears, but at some point they enter into our heart and they beg the question, what does that really mean for me? Like, how does that change the way that I live? I mean, that's the question you should ask. If, 
if you hear these and don't put them into action, you're like a crazy guy who decides he's going to spend all else and he's going to build it on the beach. And that house is going to tumble with a great crash. That's exactly the words of Jesus. It's a great little VBS song that has these little motions. They're fun. But really, Jesus is really saying, if you listen, but you don't do it, then it's just a waste. You've just thrown away all of your money. Because that house will crash. Nothing left. There's no insurance policy that's going to cover a house that's built on the beach. Just flat on the sand. If you don't believe me, you can ask Guy Kessner. He'll tell you. you just, he's not going to write that policy. And Jesus is saying, listen, you have got to allow these words to change your life. And so some of the, the stories that I really like have these, these clear morals to them. Because you can read those stories, and when you do, you're like, okay, it's easy. Now I know what to do. You could read about the story of Abraham. And the story of Abraham, for me, is a call to be faithful. To trust in God. God says, I want you to go here. You're going up the mountain. You're going to sacrifice your son. Get the wood, get the torch, get the knife, get your kid, your only son, and go up the mountain. Now we know how it ends, right? It doesn't end with the sacrifice of the son. That's, that's going to be God's deal later on. But God says, I want you to be a faithful people. And so as we read Genesis 22 of going up that mountain, we are reminded that it is a call for each one of us to be faithful. And how about the story of Ruth? Of Ruth and, and, and Naomi. That, that call to me is a story that we are to be loyal and kind to people. Even when we don't have to. Because if, if you haven't remembered, if you've forgotten, Naomi is, is the evil mother-in-law. Right? Now, I know that's not what you would say in front of your wife. I hope not. You haven't because you're here today. But the microphone is dropping. Okay, I've got to speak up here. So the story of Ruth is a call for us to be, to be loyal, to stick with the people, even when there's no reason to. Even if they say, I want you to go away. I, just, I, I need to be alone. When she said, I just, I just want to be here, like I want to sulk in my loneliness. And Ruth says, nope, wherever you go, I'm going to go. And where you stay, I'll stay. And your people are my people and your God is my God. I love that story. It's just as we read that, it's something that should soak into our lives. In a time and a culture, we say that we'll be with the company or we'll be with the spouse or until. Until we decide we don't want to anymore. Until it's no longer convenient or they upset us or they hurt us and they say, well, you know, I'm a, you know what? Ruth says that we are called to be loyal. 
Oh, and one of my favorite stories, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're just fun names to say, and they make for really great children's stories and and out in VBS. But to me, this is a super powerful story. Because these three guys have been caught by the government doing something that the government has deemed illegal. They refuse to worship the king, the president, the, 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 the god. And now they're standing before a a furious king who's interrogating them. And he says, you will bow down. You will do this. You want me to start stepping on toes? How about when we have to hear a government that says, "You you have to do it that way? That makes you a little mad, doesn't it? Right? Don't tell me how to live my life. I'm just fine where I'm at. You can go mess up things up there in Washington. That's fine. That's your deal. But don't don't mess with me. Right? Let me do the things the way I want to do it. And so, but but here, this is not just like a little argument. This is you will do what I tell you, or I will kill you. I will execute you. And they say, we're not going to do it. And the king says, fine, we're just going to heat up the furnace just a little bit more. An idea of just how it's about to get. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stand there and they say, our God will save us. He will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and worship that idol. You see, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a call to have that resolve that no matter what God does or does not do, I want to follow Him. I want to be able to say that regardless, if things are going great or if if my marriage and my life is falling apart, if I get that pink slip, If the car breaks down, no matter what happens, I want to be able to say, God, I will follow you anywhere. And even if you don't, I will stay with you. And so a lot of these stories that we talk about, that we we read about, they they provide us these, these truths. That, that we can listen to and we can observe and we can model and mimic in our own lives. But then every once in a while, we come across one of those stories that it's better to learn how to do something by doing the opposite of what the individuals in the story are doing. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. Now, just a quick disclaimer, I don't mean to be mean. (laughs) I'm not criticizing out of piety. And certainly not suggesting that I would have acted differently and certainly not act better than these people we're about to talk about. I just want to suggest that as we open up to Mark chapter 14, as we think about Adam and Eve's actions that they're not the only people who found themselves 
in a in a story that could be called the fall. And so this is where we are. So this morning we are going to be in Mark chapter 14, but for Jesus and his companions, they are actually in a different garden, not Eden, but instead of that, it's Gethsemane. And we talked a little bit about this last week, where we picked off, uh, where we left off last week, we're going to pick up this morning. Uh, but I do want to look at a, a few sections. Now, I do want you to know that this particular time this morning, I'm really hoping and expecting there to be a good bit of discussion. Because the thing is, I only have two questions. I only have two questions I'd like to have. There's four different sections that we've broken it up into. And depending on uh, how much you're willing to share with the rest of us, we may only get to a couple of those uh, passages. And if that's the case, that's great. We'll up the rest in class. And so please, I really want you to be listening, and I want to ask you, encourage you, beg you to, to come and be a part of this conversation. Uh, I also want to encourage you, for some people who, who don't normally speak up, I, I want to encourage you, please consider doing that. I know this is more of a class format than a sermon, um, and our ceiling is lightning proof. And so if you say something... There's not going to be a bolt of lightning that comes down and strikes you. If you say something wrong, that's okay. I do it every single week. In fact, last week, I should have said hemohydrosis and I accidentally said hypohydrosis. For those of you in the medical field, you caught that. For everybody else, you thought that big work. We, none of us can, can spell anyway. But we all make mistakes. So just be willing to, to um, share with us. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to help you out. Huge. Okay, here's my two questions. The first question is this. Where was the fall? And number two, this is the transforming question. How can we prevent that? In so for those of you who, who like what I consider clever, clever little titles, this might fall under that category. This is in the garden. So how do we, how do we keep ourselves from falling? And we're going to get some stories from the garden. So I'm going to pick up in verse 27, Mark chapter 14. We're going to read five verses, 27 through 31. Here we go. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Okay, so he's... He's make this statement again, very clear, very concise, but they don't get it, but, but we're going to give them a break. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Okay, where's the fall? Where's the mistake? What did, what, who did something wrong here?
Okay. So Peter said, I will never leave you. Okay. So Peter's on the hook now. Okay. So what was his mistake? Okay. His hubris. Oh, I love it. That's a good word. His hubris. Explain to us, what does that mean? What? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have Peter who, who jumps in and he says, he says, I will never desert you. I'll never uh, deny you. I'll even die with you, right? And so there is some confidence, maybe some moxie to him. And you like that, right? But, but is it misplaced? Jennifer and I have this conversation uh, ever so often. Um, I, you guys know that I adore my wife. She's better than I deserve. What we say in West Texas is I outkicked my coverage with her, right? Like she's just better than I deserve. And so I know like, like she is, she's amazing. And so I'm very confident of the fact that I'm not going to be stupid. That I'm gonna, I will make every effort to be like I'm. It's like there's no question, there is no question about my faithfulness to my wife. I put barriers in place. I, 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 I create boundaries. I'm, I'm weird about that. I won't ride in a car with a female if it's just me and that person. Like I won't sit down. I won't close my door in my office. If it's only me and a few, like, I'm just not going to do that. And so I've kind of built up this confidence. And then she'll say every once in a while, she'll say, but, but remember, if you get too confident, then you get a little lazy and you get a little complacent. If you ever think it's never going to happen to me, then that's probably when it's going to happen. The other kind of warning I want to offer to you is this. Is this sounds a little weird, but you don't know until you realize that you don't know. And I just want to caution each and every one of us to be mindful of that. I'm, I'm not oblivious to the fact that I had a privileged upbringing. Now, that's not to say financially I grew up in a, you know, a very secure and stable home. My mom taught at a private school and my dad was a policeman and so we had enough money to eat but we didn't have enough money to do most of the other things i mean i, I wore hand-me-down clothes like folks I, I i wore the the capri pants when they weren't a thing and they weren't cool because i got hand-me-down clothes and my both of my brothers were older than me and shorter than me and so by the time i inherited them you could see all of my ankles as i walked in and so i i under i get that but I also know that I'm privileged because I grew up in a family where my parents loved the Lord. And when it all comes down to it, that's really what matters. They loved the Lord, okay, and they lived it out in their lives in the way that they treated me and the way they treated my brothers, okay? So I know that. That makes me privileged in a, in a spiritual sense. There are a lot of people in this world 
who did not grow up with that privilege. They have never heard about God. They've heard His name spoken and yelled a lot. But they've never really experienced a relationship. They've never heard about God or certainly not about His Son Jesus and His sacrifice. Right? And so my caution is this. Be careful of judging other people based on how you assume you would act in that situation. Okay? I don't know what it's like to live like you. I know what it's like to live as this person, and I know that I have certain privileges that have been given to me or handed to me that some people in this room don't have. I'm going to sit here and say, listen, I would have handled this differently. All of us probably could say, Peter, you're a fool. I would have done that differently. I would love to believe that if somebody walked into my house with a gun and said, here's your choice. You can deny your faith and live, or you can die. And in my heart, I know what I would do. But until you hear that gun click and see that barrel, it's a little different. And so the fall, I think, for Peter was that he was so confident that he couldn't imagine any prayer for what he might need. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you had to say the T word, didn't you? Jennifer and I thought we were good parents. We did. We thought we've got this figured out. Like, they go out in public and they're wearing their, you know, shoes and socks on and like they're, you know, they, they look, they dress kind of normal and, and everything. They, they seem polite, you know, right? And then they turn into teenagers and they become monsters. And you're like, what in the world is that? Gracie, hold your ears. Don't listen to this. There's still hope for you. But like, why literally neither one of their, them are in the auditorium so I can say it's like it's like they change but I think it's important for us to remember that okay so if woo wow we're not even close to where we needed to be and that's wonderful thank you for the discussion so where was the fall so my question is number two is how can we prevent in our lives what do you need to do? Tra remember, transforming. We heard this story. It's neat. It's good. It can be helpful. What does this mean for you? Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, if we get overly confident in that. How, how can we, what, what do we do with this? What do you think? Peter was overly confident. And, and by the way, I don't want you to miss out on that last sentence because it's a really, really big one. And all the others said the same thing. Now, we're not going to get this into the sermon, but we'll get it in, in class in a few minutes. I'll give you a, a little bit of a spoiler. They all do it. Right? So what does that mean for us? If, if Peter is confident and he's unprepared, 
What does that mean for us? It could be us. So this is a little bit of an awkward conversation, but I've had it with, with my kids. It's been talked about. I've spoke about it with the youth group, so I'll do this with you. The mics, we're almost done. Is this. <clears throat> like you will face issues and temptations and questions and scenarios. And what I tell them is, don't be dumb. Like, be prepared for it. You will be offered drugs and alcohol. It's going to happen, probably before you get out of elementary, but certainly by middle school. That's happening. If I, This is a sad commentary. But if you live in Hobbs, New Mexico, and you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, if you choose to leave your class or between classes, if they'll let you go into the restroom, you'll be surrounded by 15 other people in that restroom who aren't going to the restroom. They're all passing around vapes, some of which contain marijuana. That's the thing. It's what they're doing in our schools right now. I've heard story after story after story. My wife is an elementary school teacher. She several different uh, stories of, of kids in elementary that have been caught vaping in class or out on the playground and passing it around to their friends. Like, this is going to happen. So, and using just that as an example, guys, girls, you're, this is going to happen. It's probably already happened. Here's what you need to do. I see people looking down and they're smiling right it's like this is awkward i just want you to know it's happening you have to think what am i going to do about this how am i going to be prepared we have you know a lot of young men and women in our youth group i love them i'm i'm proud of them they're amazing some of them are in relationships and i say look there are going to be times where you're going to have an opportunity to cross the line and do things that aren't godly and aren't christian and and that's, that's a place that you can get to really, really easily. And so you have to, before you get there, you have to say, this is what I'm going to say, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to get out of it. Like, I'm script it. Write it down. I, Jennifer and I have talked to our kids, and we say, if you ever in pro, you're ever in trouble, call us. Use the code word, right? And then, and then, when you're, when you're, friends make fun of you you make fun of us and say well my dad's a preacher and he's mean and he's making me come home blame me like i don't care like peter i want you to decide ahead of time how will your faith be lived out today and i use this example too many times but we are just an, an hour away from you leaving this the church, and I hate to use that word, because that's leaving. You're leaving. Without, I want you to decide ahead of time how you're going to treat the person who brings your food. And imagine if they happen to be the worst waitress you've ever had in your life. And I want you to decide now, here's how I'm going to act like Jesus Christ when I'm sitting down at the table. And they bring me the wrong meal, my Coke uh, glass is empty, and the food is cold. 
And then when they finally do bring the check, it's wrong. How are you going to show Jesus to that person? I want you to think about that. I think that's the lesson that we have. This is a terrible way to end this sermon, but because of time, we have to end it. So please stay for class. I think this last story is really exciting, and I want us to go ahead with that. But we're about to stand and sing a song of invitation. Lord, reign in me. Lord, I want you to be king and Lord. And so that's what I want you to do this morning. Please join me as we stand and sing.